It's like the never mind. It's like the brown sound in <laughs> yeah, South Park. That's literally what I thought about when I did this. I was like, is this like the, the brown note where like they play it and it like makes you shit your pants? <laughs> Basically, like yes. I'm Paige, and I'm Megan, and this is Spooky Science Sisters. My name is Cindy Burnett, and each week I interview at least two traditionally published authors on my podcast, Thoughts from a Page. We talk spoiler-free about their books, so you can listen whether you have read the book or not. And then we delve into things that you most likely won't hear about anywhere else. The importance of the cover design, why they included various aspects of the story, personal details about both the books and the author's lives, and so much more. You can find the podcast on every major platform and learn more about it on my website, thoughtsfromapage.com. Thanks so much for checking it out. Hello, spooky people, and Happy New Year. You're listening to Spooky Science Sisters, a podcast where we present to you a science-based and probably very giggly discussion on all things strange and unusual. The holidays are over, and we're all hunkering down for winter, so it's time for some debunking of a classic spooky winter mystery. This week, we're talking Dietlove Pass. Before we get to our discussion, though, we're going to do our usual something spooky. So, Megan, did anything spooky happen to you in the last couple of weeks? Or really, a couple of months? Yes, it's been a while. (laughs) Uh, We recorded our last episode, like, second week in December? Third week in December? Yeah, I guess maybe it's only been, like, it's been, like, a month. Yeah. But now we're back to regular schedule, so get excited. Um, (laughs) You have to talk to me more often now. Uh, yeah, nothing specific. I just, in conjunction with this episode, wanted to plug the horror movie Devil's Pass, which pulls from the Diet Love, pulls from that story and like creates like a fictionalized version of hikers like going to like follow the path of the original nine and, and figure out what happened to them. But it's it's really spooky and good, so... So go watch it after you're done listening to this. <laughs> I'll have to watch it myself. Yeah, I think you'll like it. It like didn't get great reviews, but Stephen and I just, I don't know, thought it sounded interesting and I am sort of obsessed with the story. So I was like, well, I'm definitely watching this anyway. <laughs> I think this is one of my favorite topics that we've done so far. Yes. I'm very excited about yes. it. I'm, I, yeah. So, well, and we'll, we'll get into it. Um, in a second. So yeah, but first, Paige, did anything spooky happen to you? Okay, so I have one thing that happened kind of to me and then one that didn't happen to me at all, but I'm telling you anyway. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> last time we, I think last time we recorded, we talked about how I had been living with my friend and um, she so I just moved out like what a couple three weeks ago four weeks ago now maybe um Mm -hmm. and shortly after moving out I got a text from her and this is the same place where like I had said that like we thought we had heard somebody running up or down the stairs um but like there was nobody else home and she had texted me shortly after moving out and said that like at night her toothbrush turns itself on randomly it's electric toothbrush and 
Which, like, I don't know, is it is it doesn't seem that weird, right? Like, it could just be mm-hmm. some like weird wiring thing. But she said the other night that it was turning itself both on and off, like for I don't know a significant amount of time throughout the night, uh, and she was like pretty spooked out by that. Which, basically, I'm telling you because I just want you to know that it's not all me. And these things happen even when I'm not there. So I'm not the only problem. (laughs) Yeah, but I think it could be argued that, like, you're somehow a catalyst (laughs) for all of these things happening. (laughs) Because somehow (laughs) you seem to go to these places and then they're, like, they're just haunted now. (laughs) Well, not to mention, like, this is pretty off topic, but... Um, I mean, a lot of the listeners don't know this, but Megan, you do that. Like for a long time, she would tell me I'm a witch because like, I've had like a series of situations where I've been somewhere and somebody around me has like had a stroke or like a heart attack or something like really traumatic happened to them. And it's like, this shit doesn't happen to other people. But every time I go somewhere, something like that happens. Yeah. I do think that about you. (laughs) you're Uh, cursed (laughs) so something's going on with me yeah Um, or it's fucking new me like for sure you're just some (laughs) demon child (laughs) the other thing that happened to me that like really wasn't i don't know it was spooky but it wasn't anything special is i was out walking the dog a couple nights ago and i was like strategically walking her past a couple of apartments because we had seen another dog and my dog is a basket case um and (laughs) when i got near one of the other apartments i saw like a porch swing and it's like pretty late so it's dark out and then like some girl just sitting there in like a long red dress and like really long like blonde or like white hair and she's like staring at me and I just like froze like I just stood there and stared at her and was like what the fuck is this um I didn't move because I was like certain that if I turned around something terrible was gonna happen to me so I just stood there for a minute um (laughs) finally I made my way home And I decided to start like looking up. Well, first I made my husband go look at it, but then I uh, started looking up like Halloween decorations and I checked it out the next day and like confirmed it's just some like weird Halloween decoration that somebody's left up, but it scared the shit out of me. (laughs) Great. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So let's actually jump into Love Pass. And I will probably mix between trying to say it like the actual Russian way, which is like Dyatlov or Dyatlov. So I'm sorry. Just my, I can't, I can't, I have to like force my brain to do it more the correct way. So it just ends up sounding really awkward. <laughs> um, okay. So this story has been done a whole bunch of times by other podcasts. So we're not going to do as in-depth of a explanation in terms of what happened because I feel like most people listening to these types of podcasts have already heard them (laughs) or have already heard yes the explanation of of what we know happened or what we think we know happened that night we'll focus more on theories of what might explain 
why they ended up outside of their tent in the freezing cold Russian wilderness. Uh, but this is, like Paige said, super excited to do this topic. I freaking love this story. Uh, and I don't feel bad about just like adding another podcast episode <laughs> out there to the world because I'm pretty sure that, like if there's a podcast that I like and they have a DLF Pass episode, I've definitely listened to it. Like I cannot listen to it enough <laughs> because every time I feel like I learn something a little bit new. So yeah. Yeah, it's a great story and it's also like a little bit of a mind fuck. Like I and we'll talk about it, but like I still don't know that I feel certain about what actually happened. So every time I think that I have a good handle on what happened and I think like, oh, it was definitely this, then then I start second guessing myself. And I think like even last night we were chatting about it while we were doing research and I was like, oh, geez, that's what I think is most likely. And then by the end of the time that I was done taking notes, I was like, oh, maybe not. <laughs> yeah, I still don't actually have any idea. So. We're going to go back to January 27th, 1959, so just over 60 years ago, and this is when a group of 10 hikers, including students and recent graduates from Ural Polytechnic Institute, or UPI, and an older ski instructor head out on a 16-day expedition into the Ural Mountains, and they're going to spend most of that time on skis. So it's like a really long ski trip in the middle of winter. Their leader is Igor Dyatlov. The pass was eventually named for him because of the events that we're going to talk about. And they start out with a group of 10, but they end up just being a group of nine because one of them, a man named Yuri Yudin, ends up turning back because he has some chronic pain issues that flare up. So he's the only guy who survives because he turned back really early in the trip. So I guess lucky him. <laughs> um, so importantly, all of these people are experienced hikers. They are experienced skiers. They have experience with these types of winter conditions. Um, so, and these are really extreme conditions. Like we're talking Russia in the Ural Mountains in fucking February. So it's very snowy. The temperatures can get down to lower than minus 30 degrees Celsius, which is like to the point, I think it's like around minus 35 when Celsius and Fahrenheit just converge. So it's really fucking cold. Um, <laughs> and they were actually going on this trip to acquire a new hiking certification. So this was like the Soviets at that time were super into like physical fitness and proving that the young people were like super fit and super smart and all this stuff. Um, and so they could get like different physical fitness certifications. And so some of the people on this trip were going for their like grade three hiker certification, which was the highest one that you could get. So this was a big deal for them, but it also meant that they um, had a lot of experience doing this type of trip. And like one of them had been like shot on a previous trip by accident and she fucking like hiked her way back. Like these were hardcore people. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and the climax of this trip 
or the ultimate goal of this trip was that they were going to summit uh, Mount Ortorton. So that's where they were supposed to end up. Okay, so flash forward to a few days into the trip, February 2nd, 1959. Uh, it's not great weather, at least the day before was not great weather. They've gotten a little bit off track and they decide to make camp near the base of Kolatsyakal Mountain, which that name translates in the local indigenous people, the Monsi uh, language, to Dead Mountain. <laughs> so it's like <laughs> one of those details that basically just automatically lends spookiness to this story. And I'll talk about that a few times as we move through this like there are just certain details where it's like that's just like you just go into this thinking like oh this is this is weird and spooky I did read in um in a couple of the podcasts I listened to talks about this and just to just to be clear like at the dead mountain it's it's not because people died there they said that it was like that area like they had a hard time with you know, like farming or keeping um, like crops and stuff alive. So it was called Dead Mountain from for the, that reason, not because like everybody would go there and die. Oh, I hadn't heard that. Yeah. Well, and I think I saw a few, a few places they said that the place where they were supposed to be heading, Mount Ortorton, translates to like, don't go there in the Monty language, but that's actually not correct. It's actually like something about wind mountain or something. So that's just like people exaggerating or sort of embellishing the story. So <laughs> it did not mean don't go there. <laughs> there wasn't some sort of like curse on this journey, basically, like get out of here with that bullshit. Um, okay. But I mean, the story is actually spooky because sometime during that night, they all leave their tent and flee, you know, the safety of their shelter, and all nine of them end up dying. <laughs> and it takes almost two weeks for the outside world to re realize that something has gone wrong because they were supposed to return home, or not return home, but return back to their starting point February 12th and then check in. And obviously that never came. All right. So now we're, what, you said two weeks before the world even realizes that anything has happened. Um, so we're at what, like February 16th, 17th. And it takes until February 26th for uh, the search party to actually locate the 10th that they were in. So um, they find the tent and they appear to have left it suddenly. It looks as if it's been cut from the inside and many of their belongings are still inside. So their warm boots, uh, a lot of their warmer clothes are still inside of the tent. Search team then follows the footprints from the tent, which they said had been made by people who were either barefoot or wearing only socks. Uh, they also had found some footprints that suggested that somebody had a single boot on. They discover five of the bodies right away, but then the other four are found later on. So it takes a couple months for them to find the other four bodies. Two of the bodies that they find are in some nearby trees dressed in only their underwear and socks, and they appear to have tried to light a fire because they find some uh, broken branches up about like 16 feet up into the tree, suggesting that they had climbed up and, and 
you know, broken some branches for firewood. There were also a couple articles that I read that had suggested that they were climbing up there to get a bit better like vantage point of the area to be able to like locate kind of where they were trying to go. Um, so maybe, you know, branches broke while they were climbing and maybe they weren't really using it as firewood. Um, but they had also found three bodies that were not far from the tent and they suggest that they're probably trying to make their way back to the tent at that point and, and um, died on the way back to the tent. The first five that are found, they determine died from hypothermia. Um, however, one did have a small skull fracture, but they said that this wasn't a significant enough injury to have killed them. And then the remaining hikers, uh, as I said, are found a couple months later buried in snow in a ravine about a mile and a half from the tent. These hikers have some more clothing on. Um, it seems like they've taken some from the hikers who had already died. So I think they said one of the women had had like a like a sweater or um, pants maybe wrapped around her foot is like a sock or like as a shoe because she didn't have anything else on. The ones that were found in the ravine, they're in much rougher shape. So they have some internal chest and skull fractures similar to what you might expect in a car crash. Um one of the women is missing her eyes and tongue, which that's something else that a lot of people tend to point to as like, oh, this must have been some sort of heinous murder, um, similar to like what they talk about with cow mutilations, right? Like, oh, their tongue is missing. Yes. So some like weird thing must have come and killed them and ripped their tongue mm -hmm. out. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I think one of the other people had their eyes missing as well, but yeah. that might not be true. I had, I think I had heard that a couple of them had their eyes missing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like we talked with the cattle mutilations back in the um, Skinwalker Ranch. Thank you, Skinwalker <laughs> Ranch episode. Uh, it's very possible that this could have just been like bugs that ate out the tongue and the eyes of these people. Yes. Yeah. That or she was like, she was like a little bit submerged so like there's water running over where she was so it's possible it was just like things decomposed more quickly or her soft tissue did right so they're they're in this ravine a lot of people think you know it's weird that they're so separated from their group but then i think now they recognize that they may have like tried to build some sort of snow shelter for themselves in the ravine to protect themselves from the weather and try to you know try to Stay, be protected there so my thought was like these people are down there for like two months their snow shelter like has potentially collapsed on them like we don't really know what else is going on like is it possible that some of these like quote-unquote injuries that they show are just sort of like post-mortem things that gotcha. happened um while they were hanging out there my thought is, is even if they had gotten separated like that night or, you know, it, that doesn't mm -hmm. seem totally unreasonable to me either. It's the the visibility in these types of situations would be, I would imagine, so low that like it would be pretty easy to get separated from a group or to go the wrong yes. direction and not realize and not know where you are and not know how to get back. Yes. Yeah. Like I think I think they purposefully left the group as evidenced by the fact that they're wearing clothing that they scavenged off of the other yeah people. i guess that's a good point that's a good so point. yeah so like I, they i think they purposely were like okay we need like <laughs> we're dying <laughs> we need to take some shit and like go try to make ourselves a shelter elsewhere um but i just don't feel that surprised that like they didn't die from hypothermia the people in the ravine didn't die from hypothermia they died from 
you know, these massive injuries that they had. But I, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> but I also feel like there are just perfectly normal explanations for those injuries to have occurred. Right. I gotcha. Okay. So everybody's dead. This search party finds them. They conduct, the government conducts this official investigation into trying to figure out what happened and concludes that they succumbed to an unknown, compelling uh, force. And in this case, the government pretty much says they succumbed to some sort of natural force, uh, which is sort of like, I mean, again, it's another detail of this that makes it sound really spooky, like, oh unknown compelling force and people are like oh it's aliens and it's like no it's just like they don't know what happened to them nobody was there they're all dead it's been like however long it really is just an unknown force right (laughs) it's just like we don't really know what happened but you know we gotta put something um (laughs) so then people sort of i think freak out about it a little bit more because after this incident, the Soviet government bans public access to the pass for three years after this occurs and classifies the results of their investigation. And again, people think, oh, that's really strange and spooky. Like, why would they classify it? There has to be something weird going on here. And it's like, to me, like, we all watch Chernobyl, right? Like, that person pretty much seems like standard practice for the Soviets. Like, they're like, meh. We don't want anyone to know about anything. Like, just classify it. It's fine. You know? Right. But I still feel like, I don't know. I feel like the way that Chernobyl was handled was kind of spooky, too. (laughs) Yes. Well, and we'll, yeah, we'll talk about it. Because there are just, like, some weird things. But I have trouble telling if they're just, like, I don't know. If it was just like general Soviet weirdness. It's just possible that that's just how they handled things. It's not necessarily that like this is a special case where, you know, the government was involved and they're trying to hide something. (laughs) Right. Well, and like, and I'll mention this again, but, you know, they were, they were doing this trip like to get this special certification, which was related to, you know, I think that certification was coming from the government. So on some level, it might have just been like, you know, they were fucking embarrassed that <laughs> nine young people that they were proud of who were like up and coming, you know, graduates of this university. And yeah, then they end up dying in this effort right. related to, you know, getting this certification. So I, that seems very Soviet to me to just be like, mm, nobody needs to know about this. Yeah. <laughs> but from this investigation, there are some decidedly spooky details that get uncovered. So one that people like to bring up is the the that the people had like unnaturally tan skin or red skin. Um to that I say no, not spooky. Like that just seems like pretty standard like mummification, freezing due to right. like, cold and sun exposure. So that doesn't bother me at all. Like I don't Debunked. think it's a sign that they got ex- yeah, do you want done? Put it away. Um, <laughs> stop talking about it. I don't want to hear about it. Um, 
Uh, of the hikers who were found in the ravine, uh, the investigation determined that there were traces of radiation found on the clothing of two of them. And I think one source said specifically that there were like three pieces of clothing that had traces of radiation. And I wrote down that people like to stress that it was twice the amount of exposure allowed for people who work with radioactive materials. But then I like can't remember if I just like made up that amount or not. So I think I heard somebody say twice. I heard somebody else say like significant amounts, but it's to me, like relating it to modern safety levels for people who work with radiation, like that's a pretty minuscule amount that they allow people to get exposed to. Yeah. So, yeah. I had read, I had heard three times the amount, but then I also had read and heard that it was an insignificant amount. So, yes. Yeah. I heard like, like a little significant. Bit yeah. Some put it as traces. So, like, I don't know. We don't know how much there actually was. It's sort of like, <laughs> sort of like Skinwalker Ranch again, where it's like there's radiation, but we don't really know anything about so, it. So, I do have a question about this that I was going to bring up later, but I'll bring it up now because it fits here. Um, Great. So one of the articles I read said that there that they had like killed the nuclear explosion theory or whatever because of them not finding like any radiation or any like anything on their belongings. So what I don't understand is like why would it be on the clothing that they were wearing but not with the rest of the belongings that they had? Got it. Yeah, so that, I guess, would match with what I had written down here, that, like, things just got contaminated between the time that they died and the time that they were found somehow. Okay. I thought that was kind of weird. I didn't see the, the you know, radiation amount on their clothing to be a big deal, just, like, based off of what I had read. But then when I had read mm-hmm. that they had found it on their clothing, well, it states that they didn't find it on their belongings. So my assumption is is that they just didn't find it in the stuff that was like in the tent. Um, yes, I just thought that was kind of bizarre, is all. So yeah, yeah, it's sort of it's sort of weird. But they these were people who are also like scavenging clothing from other people. So like maybe just some of somebody's clothing was radioactive, and then that got you know passed to them. I don't know. I wrote down though that I'm sort of convinced that just like everyone in the Soviet Union was probably a little bit radioactive. <laughs> because, like, who fucking knows what they had going on? <laughs> so, Fair. Watching Chernobyl, like, really scarred me for life. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, like, one of the students was a nuclear physics major, so who knows, like, if he had some weird shit on his clothing that he packed, or, like, one source even said that one of these students had had helped out with some sort of cleanup of radioactive material. So it's like, yeah, it's it's sort of weird that, you know, it's just a few items of clothing and not like more generally somebody's belongings. But but yeah, we'll, we'll expand on on my thoughts about that later. It's it's unclear. OK, so the last sort of just spooky detail from the investigation was the fact that the people in the ravine, you know, had these major injuries. And I think part of the report says that they were akin to them, you know, being hit by a car, like all internal injuries that they face, like broken ribs and fractured skulls and just, yeah, 
really, really major stuff. So that's just, that's weird. <laughs> because it makes people think like something must have happened to these people. That was a big deal. Okay. And then finally, in terms of trying to debunk stuff and just like people trying to, you know, figure out exactly what happened. I just want to point out like this was 60 years ago in Soviet Russia. So they didn't have access to a lot of the modern forensic methods that we have today. We don't know if there was like some stuff that they just, you know, got classified and never saw the light of day again or that, you know, just wasn't properly handled. And yeah, so so there could be weirdness just because like there's missing pieces of the puzzle with the way that the investigation was handled because there was like something going on weird with how it was done. All right. So one of the things I did for listen to for this podcast is I listened to the Astonish- Astonishing Legends podcast episodes. And I think we've plugged them on the show like probably like every other episode at this point. <laughs> probably like a lot. And so, shockingly, I did not listen to the Astonishing Legends episodes on this. I got distracted by by other things, but I'll probably listen to them eventually because that's I just I can't I can't not. <laughs> right. It was it was really well done. Um it's a two-part episode and while we may differ with them on some of our thoughts regarding what happened, um I overall think that the podcast is really well done and they're a great listen. So you should definitely go check them out. Um, importantly, though, for the first episode of this, of the uh, DL Love two-part episode, is that uh, they honor each of the hikers in it. So the first episode is really just based around kind of the background information. And then they go into like a small... I guess, like biography for each of the hikers. Um, so they introduce each of them and then talk about their interests and their hiking experience. I thought that was really cool. Um, and I found it important just because it, you know, I've heard and read in some of our research that people have kind of blamed the hikers for not being prepared and doing something wrong. Um, and, and this just, you know, it tells you that they're experienced hikers. They knew what they were doing. That isn't to say that they couldn't have made a mistake somewhere, but they came prepared. Like they weren't careless and like they, they knew what they were doing. Yes, definitely. And some of the sources that I looked at had like entries from their diaries that a few of them were keeping and pictures of them like on the journey to get to their starting point and then from the first few days of the hike. And it's like all very endearing. Like there's just a group of young people and they're out having fun and goofing around. And yeah, I mean, it's 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 definitely sad. <laughs> so, yeah. And it's easy to like you know, sort of get sucked into the mystery and yeah, not acknowledge like get excited uh, and not acknowledge these are people. Very, <laughs> yeah, this is like a very tragic event <laughs> that happened. And like, yeah, it would not have been fun to I was gonna say it would not have been fun to live through, but they didn't live through it. So their families <laughs> did. <laughs> Jackass. Um <laughs> okay. So That is the overview of what happened, which took significantly longer than I thought it was going to, but ain't that always just the way on this (laughs) podcast. Um, Okay, so now we can get into our thoughts about the various theories that exist about what actually happened. And I should say, like, I think there are, like, I don't know, 79 or 75, like, official theories that have been acknowledged or something, but there's just, like, there's literally no end. Like, go to 
a YouTube video about this, go to an article about this, scroll to the comments, and like there's literally no end to like the absurd things that people come up with <laughs> for explaining what happened here. So uh, I guess first we're going to focus on the more natural things that could have happened or natural explanations. Um, and by natural, I mean like some natural disaster event occurred that um, ended up forcing them out of their tent and into the cold. So the first of these is that there was an avalanche that hit the tent or that they thought an avalanche was going to hit the tent, causing them to leave it. So this was like the one that I was like, this is what happened. It was a fucking avalanche. Case closed. We're done here. And now I'm like sort of second guessing everything. But yeah, what what do you think about this, Paige? So I'm a little stuck on this one. I can't decide. Um, admittedly, <laughs> when we talked last night, I was like 0% sold on the avalanche idea. Uh, but I did see it as like the easy and probably the most logical answer. It's just that like there were small things about it that kept kind of throwing me. And there still are small things about mm -hmm. it that are kind of throwing me for a loop. Um but the reason that I initially was like, eh, it's not an avalanche, was because I had like heard and had read that like several investigators and scientists kind of had dismissed the theory for some reasons. Um, one of them being that, you know, while the tent um, was like still generally up, or while the like, tent and it, it had like snow on it, which I think you mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, People say that like there's just not as much – there just was not as much snow on the tent as you would expect mm -hmm. if there actually had been an avalanche. So like mm -hmm. it was like a pretty thin layer, like a – you know, not a very deep layer of snow. Um, so a lot of people counted out for that reason. Also, there were some comments about like the footprints were still like pretty visible, which – I mean, I guess I've never been in an avalanche, but it would make sense to me that if they're – if you had walked through some snow and then there was an avalanche and you came back through that the footprints wouldn't be super easy to see. Right. Um, and then there was like this whole like math problem about it. <laughs> this whole thing about like the degree, <laughs> like the slope of uh, the mountain that you're on and whether, you know, how, how steep the slope has to be for an avalanche to occur. And the general rule, I guess, is called the 30-degree rule. And it says the steeper the slope, obviously, the more likely the snow is to slide. Uh, but the rule states that a slope that's less than 30 degrees, you're generally safe. Where if it's greater than 30 degrees, um, it obviously would become more dangerous. And so Kolatsiakl, am I saying that correctly? Kolatsiakl. <laughs> Siakl. Um, was a 20 degree slope. So a lot of people at the time had thought that it was not a steep enough slope for an avalanche to even occur there. So that's yeah. kind of like why it was initially sold. <laughs> yes. Well, and that's pretty much what, what like a lot of other podcasts and stories that I've listened to have said like, oh, it just wasn't that steep. So there right. wasn't an avalanche. Now, some of the sources I read which I'll talk a little bit about or a little bit more about later, um, suggested that a majority of avalanches do occur in the 30 to 45 degree slope range. But we all know there are exceptions to like basically every rule. So in one of those articles, John or Johan Go I think it's Goom is how you pronounce his last name. Johan yeah, Goom. Goom or Gom. I don't know. Um, <laughs> who's a professor. 
<laughs> a professor at a snow and avalanche simulation laboratory in Switzerland, Ooh. which Switzerland, <laughs> Switzerland, Switzerland, <laughs> it's Switzerland. <laughs> We're very American today. <laughs> um, he looked at some like new data that scientists have looked at and said that a snow slab can actually start to slide at a slope of as low as 20 degrees. So like a 20 degree slope, there could be an avalanche, but it's not like common for it to be in that 20 degree range. So that's kind mm-hmm. of, like I said, kind of why I'm not super sold on the avalanche theory. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I struggle with some of the same things like, okay, the slope wasn't very steep. You mentioned the tent. Um, I think somebody, some people, I guess, underplay, overplay. I have no idea <laughs> um, how, like, the, some people make it sound like the tent was, like, in perfect condition, like, still standing, still totally fine, just abandoned. And it's like, no, it was, like, mostly collapsed and, <laughs> like, you know, looked messed up and and was partially covered with snow. But you're right that if you'd think that there'd be a lot of snow on it if if there had been some sort of of avalanche that happened. I guess my thought was like maybe they heard something that or maybe yeah, like maybe they heard something and thought that there was an avalanche coming towards the tent. So they end up leaving the tent in a hurry in order to get somewhere safer and it's bad weather and it's nighttime and just like get themselves into trouble more quickly than they expected and they can't get back to the tent. So that seems perfectly reasonable to me. Okay, that would make sense. And then you're saying that like a lot of the injuries that you see like um, like the those who were found in the ravine are probably injuries from like uh, some sort of shelter falling on them versus an avalanche falling on them. Yeah, like I had heard one thing say that potentially, yeah, like their shelter collapsed on them and that just like pressure from snow or just like, you know, would have ended up giving them those those injuries in the end. I'm also not ruling out like once they were out in the snow in the night, like those people make it the furthest. So yes, they have some pretty major injuries, but like we don't know if they were panicking, if they were running, if they partially slid yeah, they down fallen. the ravine. Yeah, like they're people have like, you know, full on like broken both ankles trying to like run away from stuff in the woods because, you know, they're scared of something and they trip or whatever. So, so I don't know. So I, I can't rule out the avalanche, although I like there are things that I struggle with. So (laughs) I struggle a lot with the fact that they, so if they think an avalanche is coming to hit the tent, they want to get out of the tent. Right. And Mm -hmm. there are cut marks or there is a cut in the tent. So people think that they cut their way out of the tent and left it. And then they said that the footprints that they left behind are like the spacing of them and the fact that like each person steps in like the previous person, for the most part, steps in the previous person's footstep, like seems that they walked away from the tent. Like they weren't in a big hurry, you know? Yeah. Which I would think like, you think there's an avalanche about to hit your tent, like you're going to try and run. (laughs) So... So I struggle with that because it's like if they were like walking away from the tent in an orderly fashion, why wouldn't they have put their boots on first? I don't know. Well, and then like why cut the tent? If it's not an emergency, like why are – 
if you if you're if you're able to walk away from the tent, why did you cut the tent in the first place? Yes. And I also can't decide if that's like a little bit of a red herring. Like maybe the cut in the tent happened earlier. Because like people stress like, oh, the the door to the tent was shut. But it's like, well, maybe they like the tent just got cut or damaged sometime earlier. earlier in the trip and they left the tent, you know, through the door and then closed it back up and then left. But it's like again, why did they why did they leave their shoes and their coats and all this stuff you know well i'm assuming that like somebody tried this do we know if the zipper of the door worked oh like if it was able to be yeah like could they just not get out of the tent and so they had to cut it open i don't i don't know i'm going down like a completely different path now but i'm just wondering (laughs) no it's so easy to do with this story. So I have no idea. So those are the things that like the fact that they everyone says that they walked away from the tent like doesn't say avalanche. Although I guess I could construct some sort of scenario in my head where like they rush out of the tent really quickly because they think holy shit an avalanche is about to hit the tent. And then maybe like by the time they get out they're like okay maybe not. But like but maybe. But then turn around and get your boots. I know but like maybe they're like well let's just like go down to this ravine and like make sure that things are or go down to the woods and like make sure things are okay. I have no idea. I mean is it possible <laughs> like that they legitimately just like although I don't know why they would cut the tent but like to your point maybe it was already cut for some other reason. Mm-hmm. Um, though like they definitely say it was cut from the inside of the tent if that makes a difference. Maybe. Yeah. But, like, maybe they accidentally, like, sliced it from the inside somehow. And, like I said before, like, they just get lost. Like, they just – it's not – there's no visibility and they just can't get back to their tent. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's what I think. And I also – you know, people say they didn't run away from the tent. But it's like, well, I'm not really clear that, like, running away from the tent would look – like, the footprints would look the same as, like – running on like flat ground with like you know because it's like right. deep snow and it's like fucking cold and you really so can't I run in the snow <laughs> yeah like i think it could be like they hustled away from the tent but like as fast as they could and that's not right. gonna be any faster than a walk like when they talk about the speed they were making on the trip like they were on skis which would make it a little bit easier than just walking and they were still only averaging like a mile an hour so it's pretty slow going. Nobody's like running through here. <laughs> so once they're out of the tent, then, you know, we got to get them out of the tent somehow. <laughs> and like whether that's this or like we'll talk about weather scenarios <laughs> next, hypothermia sets in and they die or they somehow get these injuries and succumb to those. Um, A lot of people like to point to the fact that two of the hikers that were found the closest to the tent were in their long underwear. And it's like, well, we know that some of the people in the ravine scavenged clothes off the others, but there's also a thing called paradoxical undressing, which is in the late stages of hypothermia, like basically when you're about to die, um, your brain is freaking out and your body actually starts to feel like it's burning. So it leads to a lot of people undressing themselves, like even though they're freezing to death. Um, and I think I had heard one person who did research on hypothermia say that it had something to do with like at some point your body is just like, well, our like feet and 
arms and legs are fucked. Like, let's just send all of our blood, like, back to our core. And, like, that can sometimes make people feel like they're overheating or they're hotter than they actually are because, you know, they're slowing down their circulation in their extremities. So, yay. Interesting. (laughs) Yay. (laughs) Yay. Okay. So, anyway. So, I'm saying, like, it doesn't creep me out that some of them were in, in states of undress and of course we just went through a big old rabbit hole about like why the fuck did they leave their boots behind like i don't understand (laughs) like something something must have scared them and again it's like what just makes this so spooky because it's like something must have given them a reason to leave that tent and they're experienced hikers and they should know that like shelters like prior to numero uno in like bad weather or a bad situation so like they must have been had a really good reason for going out into the snow that night especially without their gear it's like the death isn't it's it's sad but it isn't what's spooky mm-hmm. about the story it's it's why they were out there in the first place yeah like literally the spookiest part to me is like why did they leave the tent in the first right. place <laughs> Right. <laughs> like everything else that happens after that, once you're exposed to the elements and those conditions, I, I'm not. You could explain like, most fine. things. Yeah. I'm right. like, even the massive injuries, like, I, I doesn't even bother me that, like, I mean, it bothers me. I feel bad for him, but like, it doesn't make me think, oh, that's definitely proof that something super weird happened. Right. Like, just what got them out of the tent? Okay. So, avalanche is one theory. Um, The next one of the other theories is that there was some sort of major weather event that happened that caused them to flee their tent. A YouTube channel called Morbid Mysteries, which is super fun, um, did a video about Dyatlov Pass. And she said that she called this the night pee theory. So she said that, okay, somebody gets up to pee in the middle of the night and then ends up getting like blown down or blown away by strong winds and then the others are like oh shit we gotta go help them but i pointed out like that doesn't explain the cut in the tent that doesn't explain you know that they walked away from the tent like in a line (laughs) it doesn't explain like why they left their boots behind like that's like rescue 101 like you're not gonna go running out into the night to get somebody and like put everybody else in the party at risk as well right well and i mean we talked about the tent a little bit earlier i struggle with this because you would think if the winds were really that strong that like the tent poles like wouldn't have still been upright Mm -hmm. and they were like Yes, there was snow on top of it, but like ultimately, had there not been snow, like the tent was still upright and like uh-huh. in the same spot. So that I don't know makes me believe that like like you said, I guess maybe it could have scared them out of the tent. Yes. So I actually heard one really I thought was a compelling explanation for that would like basically explain what you said uh, or why the tent is like still partially standing and, and all of that is maybe they got out of the tent in a hurry because, you know, it was starting to collapse from, from high winds. And once they got out of the tent, I heard it suggested that they had like basically been around it and started like 
piling snow on top of it just like with their bare hands to try and put some weight on it so that way they hmm. could come back to it and res and re-erect it okay all right so, like i kind of buy that you know yeah they're like oh shit we gotta get out of the tent it's collapsing and then they're like okay we can't deal with this right now let's just like chuck some snow on it and then we'll go down try to like build a fire to keep ourselves warm and then everything just like turns into a shit show from there all right i could buy that except for <laughs> the whole like leaving the boots behind thing <laughs> yeah it's like why even if the tent was collapsing like if you had a second to think about it like why wouldn't you just be like oh i'm just gonna like reach inside the entrance and grab my boots real quick you know right right well and like i said before we said before like if if they did not feel that whatever was occurring outside was an immediate threat to their life, then like they wouldn't have left the tent by cutting it, assuming that they cut it for that reason, nor would they have left without at least their boots. So I don't know. Um, (laughs) And as far as like the night pee theory thing goes, so Johan Gomes from he was the one I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. He says that that theory to him doesn't make a lot of sense because uh, them being experienced hikers, they would have known that getting out of the tent there could have been some risk in causing a, a snow slide or an avalanche. Yeah. Um so like they likely wouldn't have gotten out of the tent unless they absolutely had to. Yes. Well, and to that point, I have done field work in Antarctica, and I'll talk a little bit more about it later. But, like, you don't, if it's the middle of the night and you have to pee, you don't leave the tent. Like, they just give you, <laughs> like, you have a bottle for water, and you also get a bottle to pee in. So, they probably would have just had bottles in the tent that they peed in and then just dumped them out the next morning. So I don't think anyone was leaving the tent just like for funsies in their bare feet. (laughs) Okay. So could just be like regular old, very bad weather, strong winds that you might get in this kind of area. But there is this phenomena called catabatic winds. uh, And catabatic means descending wind. But these are hurricane force winds that can happen suddenly and without warning, uh, particularly at night in mountainous areas. And presumably there's some sort of like weird pressure differential at play here. Uh, But there were a group of skiers in Sweden who were killed by one of these catabatic wind events in 1978 on what had like before been a calm day. And this is like similar to the Dialov Pass group. They abandoned their camp and I think all but one of them died of exposure. There was some evidence that they're, they had injuries on their bodies. So like, yeah. So that I guess lends credence to this idea that like, that's, that's what could have happened. Um, And some people have pointed out that the Dialov Pass group put up their tent in a fairly exposed area on the slope of this mountain that they were by. So perhaps it's like they didn't want to descend any further and lose altitude. Um, But it potentially, I guess, in my mind, left them more vulnerable to these things like avalanches or extreme wind conditions. So related to this idea that it was some sort of like wind or weather event, some people have talked about this other phenomena called infrasound, 
So which I had never put together that like ultrasound is sound waves that are too high for the human or too fast for the human ear to hear. Infrasound is their too low frequency. It's like the never mind. It's like the brown sound in South <laughs> yeah, Park. That's literally what I thought about when I did this. I was like, is this like the, the brown note or like they play it and it like makes you shit your pants? <laughs> Basically, like yes. Except <laughs> this way is like less. You hit funny. a certain frequency and it like makes you shit your pants. Essentially, like this is the same idea, except this is you have this like very low frequency sound that you can't hear with your ears. But it like people suggest that it's created by specific wind patterns, like some sort of like vortexes, small tornado business on the mountain, um, interacting with certain topographic fe- features. And they claim that it can make people very anxious and make them panic. So again, it's like an explanation as to how they could have left the safety of the tent without their gear or like uh, yeah why they would have cut their way out i can get behind that but i still can't get behind lose leaving their gear i don't know they'd have to be very panicked right like <laughs> very and panicked. all of them would have to be like every single one of them would have to be terrified yes and yeah and that's the thing is like scientists aren't even convinced that infrasound causes even some of the like the most mild symptoms that have been attributed to it. So it's like unclear that a group of nine people would all just like experience extreme panic. Right. I don't know. Debunked. (laughs) I don't know if it's debunked, but it's at least like, (laughs) it's at least the, those explanations are tough because you've got to get them out of the tent very quickly. And they, I mean, they'd have to fear for their life if they stayed in the location that they were in. Right. Which is why I keep coming back to this idea of like, I don't know, there was like something really loud that scared them. Like they thought the tent was going to get hit by something. I don't know. Like they, there has to be a good reason that they left the tent. So every time I think more about this and I think like, yeah, this is reasonable. Then I think I have no idea. Okay. So the next theory is that this was not natural causes, but that the Soviet government was somehow involved. And this is related to the fact that they found the radiation on three of pieces of clothing, but that there were some sort of like, thanks, Georgie, um, some sort of... <laughs> like nuclear or like concussion weapons tests that were happening in the area or they stumbled upon some sort of like secret soviet thing and then got killed for it and there are a few pieces of evidence that people think support this so there are reports of people seeing balls of fire um, or lights in the sky that night although A couple of sources, including an article in The Atlantic and a Snopes article, said that that timeline is, like, not – probably not correct, that those lights were actually not seen until, like, the weeks after the Dyatlov Pass incident, and that the ones that were seen, like, there are documented missile tests associated with them. So, yeah. So, I had heard on – 
the uh, one of the episodes of a podcast unexplained that there were kind of, there were reports at two different times. So there was like the initial report of seeing the balls of fire, and that was like definitely weeks after the Dietlev um, incident, but. Mm-hmm. That like shortly after that had come out, people had called in saying that they had also seen this like similar lights in the sky on February 2nd. So I don't know, you know, I don't know like how I, I didn't read any articles about it. Obviously, there I didn't read any like sort of interview regarding it, but they had mentioned that in the Unexplained episode that there were kind of like two different instances of people seeing it around that time. Yes, I heard that too. And I'd heard that there was, like, another group of hikers who was, like, 30 miles away who also saw them. And it's like, eh, I don't know. (laughs) That just sounds to me like people heard a compelling story and they were like, I saw it too or something. Sure. I mean, I don't disagree. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, And some people have proposed that, like, potentially if they did see lights, that it was, like, ball lightning or something, which we haven't really talked much about, but is super weird (laughs) okay so there's a couple other weird things that support this theory so they when they did the autopsies i think of the initial four or five bodies that they found they like brought in kgb agents from you know outside the town that that they were brought to to guard the morgue while they were being examined so it's like that's sort of weird like (laughs) why (laughs) one author a man named oleg arkipov i have no idea um who's written three books about the incident says that he uncovered documents suggesting that the original prosecutor um ivanov who was charged with investigating the deaths was told by forensic experts that the students had experienced something like an explosion wave Uh, and that's a quote but soon after um, Ivanov ends up stepping away from the case and he does so under pressure from his superiors. And later, like later, later, like in the 90s, he gives an interview where he claims that he had received reports about these balls of fire in the sky and that the government forced him to classify his findings and like told him he had to forget about it. But yeah, there are like things about his interview and his account that seem a little bit sketch so unclear um so it's like not super reliable <laughs> that this actually happened um and even yuri yudin who is the student who turned back because he had an injury flare-up and thus survived he said that he thought his friend's had seen something they weren't supposed to and that they were murdered for it. Like he, you know, went to his deathbed thinking that there had been some sort of foul play. And one of his pieces of evidence was that there was like a piece of clothing that didn't belong to the group that was found with their belongings. Cause he like helped identify Mm-hmm. everything that they brought back but it's like that's pretty weak evidence because it's like you're telling me that he like was with memorized. them for three days and like memorized <laughs> everything that everyone had with them so that seems like sort of that's reaching <laughs> <laughs> and then you know there's also some like it gets even more conspiracy theory where people are like oh they walked out of the tent because like the 
government or the military or soldiers or whatever forced them to get out and then like march them down the hill and like that's why they were walking and blah 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 but it's like okay this is like soviet russia they had a ton of people in like prison labor camps like they didn't have to like come up with some elaborate scheme to get rid of nine hikers like they would have just they would have just been gone forever. Like they wouldn't right. like stage the bodies and like gone through this whole thing for it. So that yeah, that's what I read too. Was like, they they wouldn't have put the effort in. They would have just basically the, the bodies would have just disappeared. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Like either the people would have just like disappeared into some prison camp, never to be seen again, or the bodies would just be gone. Like they're right. they're not going to do all this. Something that I had heard on a couple. I think it was like two of the two of the podcast episodes I had listened to is that there was like some weirdness that had happened with the funerals. I don't know if you had heard or read about any of this. I had not. But apparently like after everybody died, um, the government basically reached out to the families and insisted that all of the bodies would be buried in like a mass grave near where they died. And had apparently like like lied to each of the families, telling them that all the other families had agreed to it, even though later on they all found out that like none of them had agreed to it. So basically, like the families pushed back and said, like, no, we want our children back home. We're like they're you know, we can visit their grave. Um, so they, you know, agreed to that. The government agreed to that, but required them to have a single funeral for all of the the students that like they all had to be they all had to go through the funeral at the same time and told them like where the procession could and couldn't go because they were trying to cut down on publicity like of the incident of the funeral itself Hmm. um which like is weird but to your point earlier like maybe they were just kind of embarrassed that it had happened and Mm -hmm. they just didn't really want everybody making it any bigger of a deal than it was yeah Um, well yeah and i think like people were like immediately you know their people were a little bit suspicious about what had happened to them so i think maybe like (laughs) maybe they were just sort of trying to like just squash any of that like just forget about it it was an accident like we don't want to make a big deal about it and instead it just made it look more suspicious yeah it had the opposite (laughs) effect so Yeah. So overall, it's like, yeah, there's some like weird military involvement in the investigation or government involvement and like pressure potentially on the investigators. I don't know. But again, I sort of write it off to just like general Soviet era weirdness. (laughs) Um, A couple of sources and things that I listened to suggested that there was like weirdness with police in a couple of the towns they passed through when they were making their way to the starting point of their trip but yeah but like again it seems very unlikely that somebody would have like followed them by train and like tracked them down in the middle of nowhere in like horrendous weather um one journalist pointed out that had the military been involved uh in the students deaths like there's no way that they would have just let joe anybody join in the search party like they just let (laughs) i can't think of a name um (laughs) but yeah like they just let civilians join the search party and if they were trying to like cover up the fact that the government had killed them like they're not gonna be like okay everybody come along like (laughs) this is great um and like we mentioned before 
Like this was like a sanctioned planned hike, like to get this certification, you know, related, like people knew about it, like higher than them. So it was like, it was, it was planned. People knew about it. Like, why would the government be like, yeah, you guys can go on this hike, but while you're on it, we're going to murder you. Or like, while you're on it, we're not going to tell you that you're passing near some like super secret Soviet missile site or something like no they would have just been like no you can't go there (laughs) right (laughs) so that seems silly um and i pretty much like feel the same way where people are like oh like maybe they were escaped prisoners because like one of the towns they were near had like a, a labor camp prison like a gulag but yeah or that like there were like soviet operator operatives like either one of the people was like a KGB or maybe even like a CIA agent and they were on some sort of secret mission but it's like meh. yeah I don't think so <laughs> well and then like why just also let yourself die well like, yeah you know, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah or yeah I mean I guess like somebody could have found out that they were up to something sketch and then like everybody freaked out and then I don't know and then it all went downhill from there I'm pretty sure he's the one of the ones that like survived longer. Oh, but. you're saying yeah, because it it was specifically the like older ski instructor that was with them. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. yeah people seem know. like very suspicious of him, and it's like I don't know. He wouldn't have like led another group. He wouldn't have separated like with someone else. They would have just like gotten the fuck out. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. So I don't I don't put a lot of stock into that theory. Although, like I don't know, there is weirdness. And it is Soviet-era Russia. And, like, even Russia today has, like, crazy stories about, like, spies getting poisoned or whatever. And, like, just bizarre stuff happening. So it's like, who fucking knows? (laughs) Like, (laughs) it's it's possible. It's possible. (laughs) Um, Unlikely, I think, but possible. So what's our next theory, Paige? Um, Our next theory is... The and I and I think it's Manzi, but it might be Manzi people. I've heard it pronounced both ways. Yeah, don't know. I've, pro- I've probably said it both ways while. Yeah, so I'm gonna this. continue <laughs> to say Manzi people, and if I am incorrect, somebody just yell at me. So uh, they're a group of indigenous people who lived near, kind of nearish where the campsite was, and so of course, you know, somebody has to blame them. Um, and so the theory, I guess, behind this, and, and it's there's kind of a couple, but. Uh, basically that some evil like manzi hunters came and committed the murders <laughs> overnight they they kind of became an easy target unfortunately because they were hunter gatherers and they weren't really normally a part of like mainstream society so people just like when they didn't know what to blame something on they blamed it on them uh which you see in history for like literally every every topic we've talked about i think at this yes. point somehow <laughs> yeah so that's unfortunately kind of normal there was also like this story about a geologist who had gone to some manzi sacred land and like supposedly got tied up and thrown into a lake uh and i think (laughs) that was like i thought i had written it down in here like in the 30s maybe um and so like that was a story that had kind of been thrown around and 
a lot of people believed. And so, you know, it made them out to be like these scary people that you would be afraid of. But of course, after further investigation, they found out that that story had like no factual support. And it's now believed that the story was just used as justification to arrest Nancy Hunter's. Mm-hmm. And then there were also like many stories made up about like why Mansi hunters would have killed the hikers. Um, one of the ones I saw was that maybe the hikers stole from Mansi's sacred land, sacred land, and that they came back for revenge. Uh, but basically, like most of the stories about you know them being aggressive or violent people, like didn't really have any truth behind them. They mm-hmm. weren't violent people, and there had been no after that point. There was no crime for like three decades um but also they helped investigate like they were a part of the search party they wanted to help um so like there's really no there's nothing to that leads me to believe that they had anything to do with this right at all yes (laughs) like similar to when we talked about roanoke i wrote down that sarah from archaeological fantasies would be ashamed of this theory (laughs) and i said knock it off white people like quit always blaming indigenous people for like for whatever for (laughs) killing white people or you know being the problem because like it's it's not it seems like the the mancy are perfectly nice people so right yeah so it's fine they did nothing wrong um (laughs) <laughs> yes probably uh, you, probably i think like i'm like 99.999 percent sure that they have no involvement here right uh I've, yeah i've also heard some theories related to the fact that the mancy like consume some sort of like psychedelic mushrooms <laughs> and like <laughs> that they make some sort of like very potent liquor so some people have suggested Either that, like, the Mansies were, like, super, you know, messed up on one of these items and freaked out and killed them. And it's like, eh, that seems silly. Um, but, or that, like, the hikers had gotten hold, hold of some and took it. And then, you know, they all had a really bad trip. So they freaked out and headed out into the snow. But uh, that seems unlikely that, like, all nine of them... <laughs> would like lose their senses enough to like all behave in ways that you know were obviously going to be fatal and you would think being for they're out there to get this certification they're experienced hikers like they're not gonna at least i wouldn't think go out and take some like weird ass like drugs that they have never seen or taken before and just like hope things go well Right. Yeah. And that's like, I saw in like some of their diary entries, it's like, you know, a couple of them seemed like they were like pretty straight laced. So it's like, they don't really seem like the people who are just going out there to, you know, get wasted and fuck around. Like, this is not a get wasted and fuck around hiking trip. This is like, and if you fuck around hiking trip, you're going to die. die. Like, and they would have known that. (laughs) So, yeah. So I think that just like, you know takes these aren't like american kids in florida on spring break like (laughs) right (laughs) this is serious (laughs) this is serious this is very russian (laughs) this is like (laughs) this is what russian kids were doing for fun in 1959 (laughs) (laughs) we're not going on vacation like we're gonna go hike in the frigid wilderness (laughs) and like some life-threatening situation (laughs) so (laughs) that is intense (laughs) 
All right. So that's all the theories that I would say are like, I could, I could make an argument for why I believe them or I can see, you know, why people might think they're, they're more logical. And of course, then we get to the paranormal. (laughs) So, uh, there are always some, so there's always some, um, just like Roanoke. So the evidence that cited that something paranormal happened, uh, includes the massive injuries that were suffered by a few people in the group and the fact that there was the radiation present on those items of clothing. Um, there, So, okay. So two things that people think. First, <laughs> they think that a Yeti or an abominable snowman came and just fucking murdered all of them. <laughs> <laughs> but again, like, why would you leave the tent? Like, I feel like the safest thing to do would be like huddled together in the tent. Like, well, because you're know. sure as hell anyway. not moving faster than it, right? Like, yeah, you're not gonna go like out into its element and like make something happen here. So anyway, <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm not gonna spend a ton of time justifying this because it's just ridiculous. <laughs> um, but there is this like weird picture that was taken by one of them during the trip because they, they like developed their film and it like, it looks very reminiscent of the famous Bigfoot picture that was taken in California, which I actually think wasn't taken until after this, right. That was taken in the sixties, but, um, but yeah, but either way, like it's the main piece of evidence that is cited in this discovery (sighs) channel documentary called Russian Yeti, the killer lives, <laughs> which is just like, fuck you, Discovery Channel. Like, what happened to you? Um, <laughs> and like, their it's like their main piece of evidence in it. Apparently, I did not watch it because I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not doing this. Um, but it's like their main piece of evidence, I guess. And it's like, if you look at it, it is definitely just a person in a snowsuit, right? That's what I look like when I have snow pants and a fucking coat on. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like 19, late 1950s film. It's black and white. It's so like he's in the distance a little bit. Like, of course, he's going to look sort of weird. It's a dude in a snowsuit. Like, absolutely no doubt in my mind. It's a dude in a snowsuit. <laughs> I will say that I I thought that I had read or maybe heard that um, one of the women had written in their diary that they had like they had confirmed that the yeti was real that was like a joke like they had like written some like fake like okay okay news like yeah like they were just messing around that like they were writing like fake news headlines or something like that so it was just them goofing around was what i had heard about that gotcha and yeah some people will point out that the monty actually do have stories of like a yeti like creature but it's like that's not really evidence to this because it's like nearly everybody else yeah like everyone has stories (laughs) about some like human-like creature roaming the wilderness so you know that doesn't mean that it's real in this case yeah and then aliens it's obviously like oh there was radiation and there were lights in the sky so like obviously it must be aliens and it's like it's fucking not aliens the aliens just (laughs) came killed them all and left (laughs) yeah like i would absolutely believe soviet government conspiracy or like i don't know some sort of missile detonation accident (laughs) before i'd believe aliens absolutely 
Yeah. <laughs> like aliens would have to come down out of the sky, land in my yard, and like specifically tell me it was us before I'd be like, yes, it was definitely aliens. <laughs> <laughs> that is the burden of truth that I place on the aliens. <laughs> you heard it here, aliens. <laughs> okay. So then let's talk about the reopening of the investigation in 2019, which I yes. did not know had happened until I started looking into this. Yeah. So like Megan said, 2019, the investigation reopens. Um, and I think she had mentioned earlier that they they talk about it in this article that I found um, that there were 79 theories on what could have happened, but they really focused most of their attention on like nine of them because like Megan said, if they had focused their attention and actually went through all 79 theories, like they would never be done. They would never be done investigating. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, and like, um, again, they're throwing out like the Yeti. It's <laughs> like, no, we're not going to dignify that with an official investigation. That's insane. Right. <laughs> so, in July 2020, there's an announcement that the death of the hikers was caused by an avalanche that was triggered by some sort of change in the weather. And in in that announcement, they state that the hikers left their tent to get to a safer area and had a fire. But then when they went to get back to their camp, they couldn't find it. Um, they actually state in the article that like these hikers like did everything right. They knew what they were doing. I still struggle with like not having some of their gear with them. Um, but ultimately, mm -hmm. like, you know, that's that that's what this article says. They they left mm -hmm. the tent to get to a safer area, they have a fire. Um, and on their way back, they die because of um hypothermia. And they said that at that point, like you had mentioned earlier, the temperatures, I have read two different things, um, mm -hmm. anywhere between negative 20 degrees celsius and like negative 45 degrees celsius mm -hmm. which like i don't know i guess like both of them are unfathomably cold to me so like i just can't even picture how <laughs> that would hurt anyways basically at that point hypothermia could set in in like a matter of minutes like it would yeah. take you know no time for you to just like freeze to yes. death in the Goom article that I read, or the, it was the New York Times article, but um, in that article, Goom says that a broken piece of dense snow slab of 60 centimeters in height, one meter long by one meter wide, could break your ribs. It's as if 150 kilos fell on you all at once. So uh, kind of to Megan's point earlier, you know, if a lot of snow were to fall on them, you know, the ones who didn't die of hypothermia right away, their ribs could have been broken from just the snowfall. Yeah. And I still, again, yeah, like struggle with why did they leave their boots behind? And I, I guess I, I just still keep coming back to that they thought that the tent was going to get hit. And so they got out of it really quickly, made their way to a second location and then just got in trouble really fast. Yeah, I guess the thing I struggle with with like the fire theory, I mean, they definitely have found a fire that like remnants of a fire, correct? Mm hmm. It's like if they were really getting up in the trees and breaking branches off for firewood, like the assumption would be that there would have been plenty of firewood for them to continue the fire. So, like, I don't know why you would just like let it go out. Yeah, but I mean, that just might be like, you know. <laughs> 
how much is a small fire gonna do for you? Really do for you? Yeah, that's when fair. When it's that kind of weather, so they just try to get back to there. their their tent and they just couldn't get back. Yeah, like All I right. I think I think their point is like they wanted to get back to the tent. Like maybe once they realized like oh there's not gonna be an avalanche hitting us or something. Like then they're like shit, we should get back to the tent. And then they're like, oh fuck. Where is the tent? Yeah. <laughs> like, right. It's it's dark. It's probably blowing snow. Like it would be yeah. so easy. And you're probably get... already like in a lot of pain because you're so cold. <laughs> right. You're not thinking to... straight. Yes. Yeah. To get it would it would just be super easy to get disoriented in those kinds of conditions. Yeah. So okay. <laughs> I have so many thoughts. So the we kind of talked about the radiation already, so I'll sort of skip over that in our notes. I'm, like, not convinced that it even really means anything. Like, I think it could just could have been introduced later or something. Yeah. Um, and some people have even said, like, potentially it was introduced, like, you know, from some sort of testing they did on their clothing. Well, and, and my I guess my point here was that the nuclear explosion theory is kind of a big theory. And in, in their announcement, they specifically state that like, we didn't find any radiation on the hikers personal belongings. So we basically just threw that theory out because like, yes, it didn't, it didn't, there's no evidence that it happened. Yeah. Like it's just those items of clothing. It's not, it's not like generally their bodies or their other belongings. So it's like, it's not like, they only got fallout like on three items of clothing and nothing else. Like it must have right. been there somewhere, somehow else. So in this Atlantic article that I read, which was written following them reopening the case, um, it really stressed, like basically the whole point of the article was stressing the propensity of Russian people, like even to today, to believing in conspiracy theories um, and being very skeptical of their government. And it's like because their government has behaved in <laughs> pretty sketchy ways in the past. And they've got this like built in distrust of them. And when they opened this new investigation, they immediately ruled out and didn't look into any type of like criminal explanation or non natural explanation. So that you know, made some people, including these people's families, you know, even more suspicious and angry right. because they felt like something had happened. Like yeah. something purposeful had been done to these people to cause their deaths. The families have basically come out and just been like, I don't buy it. Like, I don't buy yes. the avalanche thing. <laughs> yes. And there have been like other commissions that have like, yeah, claimed, you know, other theories are correct or other groups that have claimed other theories are correct. But it's like nobody, nobody really knows. And it's like based on the fact that based on all of this, like I still am pretty dang sure that there's a natural explanation to what happened to these students, like an avalanche or some sort of freak wind event the catabatic wind or like maybe even something as out there as like the infrasound infrasound phenomenon because yeah <laughs> there has to be something big and scary that they thought was going to happen i did see a later thing um which i like just heard today and then didn't get a chance to to add it to the notes that there's some guy who proposed that 
they so the this tent was like a custom tent that Igor Dyalov had like designed or made for this trip and he had also like built this custom stove to take with them so some people have proposed that like the stove malfunctioned and either like started to catch on fire or started to fill this tent up with smoke and so they like you know cut open the tent and got out of it really quickly and you know went down the hill and that that's what was the catalyst for all of this hmm. but like but like you know, unless you thought the stove was gonna like immediately explode again like when Grab you go boots. camping you leave your boots in a pile by the door. Like, why wouldn't you at least just, like, stick your hand in there and grab some boots? <laughs> right. Even if they're not your boots, even if you don't get them on for a little bit, like, why Right. Like, before you, just grab you walk away, unless you, like, thought there was going to be an explosion, you, I feel like you'd take the time to get the boots. <laughs> That's really troublesome. I am going to be honest that, like, I want to say that I fully believe it was some sort of natural thing that caused all this, like some sort of, like you said, Mm -hmm. avalanche or something. Mm -hmm. But like, really, I would be lying to myself because I don't have any idea. (laughs) (laughs) Like in every scenario, I go back to like, somebody would have to be like attacking me for me to not think to grab something to keep me warm. Yeah. I think. I mean, I guess right. I've never been in a scenario where I'm in a tent and there's an avalanche. So, like, <laughs> yeah. it's not fair to say. Yeah. But. Yeah. Well, yeah. And it, it's, <laughs> it's what we keep coming back to is like everything that happens post tent, fine. Yes. <laughs> Natural causes. Like, regardless of if they were experienced, if something bad was happening, if there was some sort of accident that scared them, like, Hiking in those conditions or being out in those conditions is just inherently dangerous and can right. become fatal very quickly. So it's like all of that totally adds up for me. Like I think everything that happens post tent is natural. I don't I don't really think they were like attacked by anything or like anything like that. But it's just like what the fuck happened to get them out of that tent without their boots? Yeah. <laughs> I can't I can't. I don't know. This is like There's... the first thing that we've done where I felt like I don't have an answer. Like it is just weird and I I I have no scientific explanation for it. I talk myself out of everything I think I know. Oh, I've already talked myself out of thinking like definitely it was, you know, whatever. <laughs> so, basically I don't we I don't know. I still lean towards like something <laughs> I still lean towards something natural happened or that they thought something was going to hit the tent or they thought, you know, so they had, they felt like they had to get out of it quickly to get out of the way. But I don't know. Well, I can poke holes in that as we've seen. (laughs) We really needed a supervisor for this episode. (laughs) It's like, we can't be trusted. (laughs) I can't be trusted with this episode. This is too much responsibility there's too much out there and like yeah there's been like some talk about them potentially like exhuming some of the bodies and stuff but obviously the families are not super thrilled about that but uh if it like answered what actually happened i would 
I would love that. Because like, here's what I think too is, is like I mentioned before, we're just not getting the entire story. Like there has to be, you know, evidence that they didn't get or stuff they got lost or stuff that, you know, for whatever reason got covered up or buried. We're missing something that is like obvious because there has to be a normal explanation. Yeah. All right. I think that's that's all I have to say. I could literally talk about this for a week. I feel less certain about everything than I did when we started. <laughs> yeah, I was say I we could talk about this all week and I would still end up here every single time. So Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's that. <laughs> <laughs> all right everybody well <laughs> just like leave us some comments or something with what you think happened because i don't fucking know <laughs> yeah and then it maybe maybe someday something will come out of this something new will come out of this and we'll get the joy of talking about it again with some more clarity yeah. we hope so that would be great <laughs> all right everyone well <laughs> that wraps up our episode on dl love pass Tune in next time for our episode on alien abductions. If you like this episode, hit subscribe and share with a friend. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Spooky SciPod, Facebook at Spooky Science Sisters, and at our website, SpookySciencesisters.com. If you have any questions about previous topics or ideas for future episodes, or if you just have a good idea of what happened to these poor people, email us <laughs> at SpookySciencesisters at gmail.com. Thanks again. Stay spooky. This podcast is a part of Straight Up Strange Productions. Discover more shows like this one at straightupstrange.com. We are gathered here today to give you permission to plan the wedding that you want. I'm Jessica Bishop. And I'm Sari Wienerman. And we're the hosts of the Bouquet Toss podcast. Today's couples have to juggle so many things, from family expectations to outdated traditions and what's currently trending. So to make it easier, we're going deep to figure out why we do weddings the way that we do, so you can decide what to keep and what to toss from your wedding day plans. You are cordially invited to subscribe to the Bouquet Toss wherever you get your podcasts or at evergreenpodcast.com. By the power vested in us, we pronounce you free to plan your day your way.